What's up everyone, it's Anushka here and I hope you all are doing well. For today's episode, we have an interview that I actually did a while back, but I'll be talking to Will Booth, Solana Booth, and Phoenix Johnson, who at the time were a part of DNVP or Duwamish Native Veterans Program. DNVP has now transformed into Sequelao, but their work continues to be unmatched. Sequelao partners with multiple community-based organizations to, in their own words, create cultural awareness, learning, healing, and bring equity to the Native and First Nation communities throughout the greater Pacific Northwest. They serve a diverse range of people, including Native veterans, as well as members of LGBTQ and Two-Spirit communities. They also have a unique method of healing to support those who have been affected by gender-based violence and sexual assault. So without further ado, let's jump into our conversation. Well, first of all, thank you all so much for coming here and welcome to the Originated Podcast. I'm so happy to have all of you here. So uh, just to start off, um, we have today with us Will Booth, who is an Air Force and Gulf War veteran. We also have Phoenix, who is an Air Force veteran. And we also have Solana, who is a cultural healer as well. So just to start off, can you guys just go around the table and introduce yourself? Oh, of course. <clears throat> My name is Phoenix. I'm of the Tlingit, um, the noble people, also of the Haida Nation. We are the Tlingit clan of the Raven Moiety, Dog Salmon, Woodworm Crest. Um, as you said, I'm an uh, Air Force veteran, as well as I identify as Two-Spirit. I prefer they, them pronouns. Um, I'm also a parent to a teenager in middle school and uh, a program director for um, DNVP and Sequelow, as well as have my own consulting business um, for uh, racial equity and uh, justice-oriented change. Awesome. You're doing some incredible work. Thank you. And uh, Solana? Um, I'm And my mother's association is the Chief Sam George, Chief Joe Ortiz, Rita Anderson, Ortiz, George family. And my father's is the Violet Booth and William Booth family. Um, come from lots of folks who worked really hard for me to be doing the work I'm doing right now. I'm really thankful to have my cousin here, Will, and my Indian cousin or person here, Phoenix, and um, just really thankful to be here, Anushka. Some of the work that I'm, <clears throat> that I'm doing and that I have been doing is being a generational trauma expert. And so in 2018, 2019, I was traveling back and forth to New Mexico and training mental health professionals and licensed practitioners in generational trauma and providing two different domestic healing modalities and most of our mental health therapists were serving veterans. So we learned lots of stories of what folks are going through. Um, being the original sentinels of Mother Earth as indigenous people, I feel like there's a lot more we can be doing and we just need some practical contemporary slash ancient tools to employ to not only help each other regrow and reheal and recover, but to you know, stand, um, stand up for our veterans and, and be in a good way together. Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And Will? So my name is Will and I hold my hands up in honor to all the women and the Native women specifically that are continuing to lead our our 
Alaska communities. Um, I am from Metro Capital of British Columbia in Southeast Alaska. I am Ganhara, a Raven clan of the Gitman for the Tsitsian Nation. Um, like my cousin Solana said in Phoenix, just happy to be here. Um, I, got, I am the program director for DNVP, which started uh, September of 2020 when I was asked by the Duwamish to bring veterans home. So I created, uh, wrote up the, um, the actual program that got submitted to the Duwamish Tribal Council and Duwamish Tribal Services Board of Directors and unanimously approved. And September 1, we launched Duwamish Native Veterans Program, which is now DNVP. And then and there was a few grants coming down the pipeline. And I there was one in particular that really hit hard um, on domestic um, gender-based violence. And I reached out to Phoenix and Solana and asked if they would be willing to take this journey. And it's going to be a very hard journey because it is such a touchy subject. Um, and without hesitation, they both said yes. And through the process of writing that grant, we created Sequelau, Realm of the Cedar. And so through DNVP and Sequelau, we now hope to work and provide support structure and with a coastal, West coastal indigenous perspective to help Native veterans and their family members, as well as the communities where these veterans come from. We try to build a holistic healing concept from an indigenous coastal teaching. And here we are, nine months later, we're moving forward. That's amazing. Yeah, DNVP is such a wonderful program. Um, so, you know, what have your experiences been like in DNVP and can you elaborate on like the work you do? Um, well, for reasons, I guess I'll start since we I, I kind of was at the front door of it all. Um, <clears throat> when I was first approached, you know, I, I jumped on it. Um, my background has been in, in the corporate world since I left the military. And in each organization that I worked for, you know, we had a employee a resource group and there was always like a veterans program, a person of color program, something of that nature. And during my last job pre-COVID, I was the um, local chapter leader of our veterans program, um, our LGBTQIA employee program. And I created our native employee the program was then brought on to um, be the local point of contact for our recruitment and retention for native employees and was going to be the local Pacific Northwest point of contact for that. COVID hit and all that went away. <laughs> so nonprofits started reaching out, which I've, I've already been volunteering with, but more kept coming to me asking for kind of input and guidance on what to do, how to do this. So here we are 30 years later, and it's become my full-time job, which for the first time, I think in my, in my career, since I left the military, I welcome the stress and the anxiety because I know the work is really helping our community that we all live in. Um, and that's kind of the heart of DNVP and Sequelau is these folks come to us with a need. When everyone else has told them no, we're, we have consistently said yes. And even if it's not within our, you know, the design of the program, we find a way, whether it be with a partnered organization or we just do it. Um, and working with folks like Phoenix and Solana who have that same heart, that continues to outshine. I mean, national organizations are reaching out to us, asking for help, asking to partner with us. The local Puget Sound VA has reached out. Um, we are the only Native veteran program that is coastal-based in our teachings and our healing practices. Um, so they now want to work with us because we have a lot of coastal Natives 
who want to stay true to their traditions. Well, now they can. They, 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 there is a place for them now. Mm -hmm. And again, with Phoenix and Solana, what they bring to the team into the program is key to that. So not only are we veterans, not only are we Native, but we're coastal Native. So we're created by Native veterans for Native veterans and their family and their communities in which they live in. Yeah, thanks, Will. I really appreciate the way that you're able to um, implement our movement through certain process and um, helping to really pave the way because um, you know, you're the one who really uh, began this journey and invited us to come along with you. And, and for that, you know, I really appreciate what you, what you've seen in us and what, um, and the work that we've done. And, and so, you know, to share a little bit about what has precluded Sequelao and DNVP, um, for me, I think even precluded my existence. And I really attribute, attribute um, who I am and um, what I've received through my family and, you know, and my ancestors and my people's resistance through their colonization and, you know, within the, the kind of um, the culturally expansive idea of two-spirit identity is that we were often revered within um, our nations to hold certain esteemed positions or significant positions within our, within our communities, whether that be healers or educators or leaders or, um, you know, breaking certain stereotypes of of binaries that didn't really exist within indigenous culture um, pre-contact um, in the way that we know it now. And my, my educating started when I was in high school and I had identified a need and I had moved into a really small K through 12 school and in a small town in Oregon and realized that the children had no arts program. And so I had gotten together um, some curriculum books and put together an arts curriculum for first, second and third graders and just started teaching it on my off time as a high schooler because they couldn't accommodate um, my education level from my former school. And I took that, um, that sense of uh, pride in myself and that resilience and, and that was only bolstered by some of the values of the Air Force, which is um, integrity first and service before self and excellence in all we do. And that's something positive that I've really taken away um, um, from my experience. And, and I was, as far as uh, furthering my, my education experience, I was at 19 years old, the youngest person to become a suicide intervention skills instructor. Um, and that was a really a, a, a calling to me knowing that there were people out there that needed, um, that needed that hand of support and sometimes didn't get that. And so I was able to, um, get accepted into being an instructor shortly after taking the course, which was really such a privilege. Um, I, after leaving the military, I had no idea. No one had told me that I was a veteran. <laughs> and uh, after a few years of just trying to, to make it, I had found my community. And that's where I had established a lot of my veteran work about eight years ago, um, doing things like founding veteran family and resource centers, um, helping to establish and volunteer for um, veteran homelessness outreach projects and nonprofits um, where I had um, re-establish re um, student veteran associations within the colleges I was attending and helping to provide um, scholarship opportunities and peer support opportunities um, and eventually um, taking that a little bit further within politics. And um, so I, as throughout my life, all of these separate building blocks have come together around uh, my medical professional background, um, my public health and suicide prevention background, but as well as um, veteran outreach and politics. And um, so I was working on new projects and, and making new partners and new friends. And so I think that just really neatly fits into our very expansive ideas for the future of what we want to do um, as far as having positive visions for healthy support and relationships within um, our indigenous families and veterans. Wow, you are doing so much work. That's so cool. Thank you for all that you do and for all that all of you do. That's amazing work. 
Yeah, um, Solana, you would like to share? Yeah, what was the question again? I was getting caught up in, um, in Will's genesis of SQLow and then uh, Phoenix, uh, Phoenix's experience. And, um, and Will, I also wanted to ask, I heard you say that SQLow is like a coastal um, program. And like, I think you said it three times. I just wanna hear it one more time. And like, why is that so important? And then I'll, and then I'll go in. Yeah. I, just, um, I love this part. Well, there are many Native veteran programs across the U.S., and many of them are extremely successful, and the work that they do is so important to the Native communities in which they sit. They're all, um, for the lack of better terms, Plains or Pueblo Native-based, which for those communities is very important. But when we live here in the Puget Sound. We are not Plains, we are not Pueblo, we are not East Coast, we are coastal. We are, you know, we are canoe people, we are salmon people. Our culture is very different and very unique to our, to who we are as peoples. And being the only coastal native program in existence today that is coastal focused on our teaching throughout our different nations, um, our different um, healing practices is very key to the native veteran from these territories, from, from these lands. And they're crying for, for help. You know, as a coastal native myself, there was nothing in existence. I went to a program who I thought, and just like every other veterans program is like, well, how many of them are you? It doesn't matter whether it be one or a thousand, if one needs it. So creating the MVP, branching into SQLow, we bring that. And with strong leadership and cultural teachings that Phoenix and Solana and I bring to this program, we can now offer that along when we partner with our elders across different cultural nations to bring that teaching, bring that healing to these families. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. Um, and then we're also partnering with like hereditary chiefs and local tribal community leaders, local tribal cultural leaders. Um, there's conversations that happen. Um, with, I know that I'm talking to other uh, community tribal cultural leaders as well. And just Sikolau is such a big deal. Um, like, like Will was saying, it's, it's coastal. And the reason for me that that's so important is because our ways are, are just as strong as the salmon are still running right now. Like our resources are the cedar and the rivers and the salmon and our potlatch ways. And there's protocol within each and every one of those areas, just like um, there's discipline in the military. And I'm sure there's protocol. Um, we're wanting to implement and merge all these core values and all these, um, the willingness and the integrity and the vulnerability and promote recovery from generational trauma for our veterans for the community, for the families of the veterans, um, and perhaps do some education around preparing uh, future veterans, preparing folks that are wanting to join the military. But first and foremost, we wanna meet the veterans where they're at and prevent gender-based violence, prevent domestic violence, treat and recover sexual assault and abuse, um, and provide those protocols and practical ways of healing for sustainable recovery. This is not um, new age fooey. This is not anything you can Google. Um, our SQL out protocols are very much enriched and cultivated in our, in our ways, in our coastal ways. Um, <clears throat> a lot of my experience, like I already said, is uh, being a generational trauma expert and realizing the importance of relationships and not just us within ourselves, within our, our mental, our spiritual, our emotional and our physical self, but 
like I said, we are the original sentinels of Mother Earth. Like we are maybe not government speaking, but we're all veterans of Mother Earth, of that kind of caretaking, of that kind of respect to be able to partner with Mother Earth in a good way. Um, we just want to collaborate together, Will and me and Phoenix, and be able to weave these protocols for our veterans, be able to invite their families in for some recovery, for some um, for folks to prepare and welcome back our veterans in a good way. We want our veterans to come home back to us in a good way. And there's a lot of stigmas and there's a lot of Western societal um, ways that we have to reframe, that we get to uh, debunk. We get to reconfigure that um, in a way that's, that's the best for us, for indigenous people, for coastal ways. Um, and then education, education for uh, the families, for the community, for mental health practitioners, for other national veterans programs. There's really practical um, solutions to the issues that, that veterans and their families are facing right now. And until Sequelao, um, the coastal protocols and practices just haven't been in existence. So we, we know that we are um, wanting and needing each other for Sequelao to grow and cultivate healing and unity and integrity. Because also being coastal, Anushka, I'm not sure if you're familiar with some of our protocol, but I know that it's ingrained in each of us that, um, that like when I'm speaking, I know and I honor my ancestors that are with me. And then I also honor my grandchildren's grandchildren that are with me right now too. So it's, there's a lot of humility. There's a lot of concern and care and discernment that goes into even just speaking, even just introducing ourselves, even just being invited to this podcast. Like there's a lot of preparation that happens that we just want to do the best. We want to represent our ancestors in a good way. We want to represent and value the cedar people, the cedar trees, the salmon people, all these different relationships in a good way every time we show up. So Sequelao, us three are still um, working on creating that best practice of how are we showing up together. And just thank you so much for this opportunity, because this is like a really good start. Like this is a great practice for us. And we did talk about it um, beforehand. And so I'm just, I'm honored to be here with everyone. And I'm not sure if I answered your question. No, you definitely did. And you, I think, okay. touched on some really important things. So thank you. And of course, totally happy to have you here. You all are again doing wonderful work. So just more than happy to highlight that and share that with the community. So just going back to what, all of you have touched upon in multiple different aspects. You mentioned that DNVP is created for Native veterans, and many times Native veterans come into the program having experienced things like gender-based violence, and also, as Phoenix mentioned, suicide prevention is something that's super important for Native veterans. So just wanted to ask all of you, have you personally experienced any of those things, and how has that experience shaped and impacted the work you do at DNVP? I'll start with that. <clears throat> so I know Solana and Phoenix know this, but, um, and so I was actually part of the team uh, back when I was at the Air Force. Um, the White House directed Office of the Secretary of Defense team, uh, I'm sorry, military working group that was our official title. And our, the, the purpose of that team was to find a way to open the doors to openly gay service members. So being on that team, watching these folks go through what they went through, trying to figure out a way to make it happen. Um, there was no, well, what, what, no, it was, we need to be able to do this and we need to make sure that everyone 
we all kind of come to the table and we meet in agreement. We interviewed, or the team interviewed, um, other other international military organizations. Um, they met with local fire department and police departments and other police um, first responders across the nation. They met with different church groups from across the nation. They met with different LGBT organizations, including ACT UP, which at that time there in the 90s was a very radical um, pro-LGBT in, in your face, you know, kind of like, you know, we're queer, we're here, get over it type thing. Um, and there was a lot of flack and fear that having conversations with organizations like ACT UP could be potentially harmful. It was actually just the opposite. They were very professional. They came with hard data. Um, the medical teams came with hard data. The different social programs across the US came with hard data. So the team was able to actually take a very open look at what the, the potential was. And at that time, I was still struggling. You know, am I gay? Am I not gay? Am I native? Am I not native? I was told, don't identify as native because I can pass as white. Being native would actually hurt my career. So I'm struggling multiple barriers here now. And I'm working on this team, which, you know, a lot of anxiety and whatnot there, but we eventually came out with what became known as Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And we all know the history of that. We saw how that turned out. And sadly, it was not at all what the team's intention was. Um, and I, I, part of me still holds that very personal because I saw what, the, what this team went through. I saw grown adults break down in tears over the outcome of what they tried to create to make safe space for openly gay service members across all branches of the military. Um, anyway, so fast forward a few years, um, I get invited to a local LGBT nonprofit board meeting just to kind of learn more about them. Apparently, I'm the only one asking questions. So at that board meeting, I was nominated and elected president. Uh, I knew nothing about the organization. This is my first ever meeting. I didn't know anybody at the table. I was like, okay, I guess now I have to try to make this work. So I did. Um, and then I found myself in situations very similar to that, which was also similar to what my military career was. Now, I was a low E2 filling an E7 billet. So think of it like E2 is one step above entry level and you're now a executive director. So there's a big gap there in experience and whatnot, but I have to meet that need. So that's kind of been my, my career. So when this program was asked to be created, um, I took all that experience from time in the military, working with other nonprofits, running um, corporate programs that focus on, you know, veterans, LGBT, Two-Spirit, Native, you know, all of the above and created what has become the NVP and then with the help of Solana and Phoenix, then created what's becoming Sequelow. And I think it's just that internal need kind of pushes me forward to it. And um, even my partner has mentioned well, many times, well, 11.30 at night, I'm still working, but I get up every morning and jump right back on the work. It's like, I've not seen you do this 20 years that we've been together. It's like, you drag yourself to work. You try to get to it, but here you're like every single day, seven days a week, it's like, stop, take a break. It's like, I can't, These, I got, no, we got things to do. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. I don't know if I even answered your question correctly, but just <laughs> <laughs> I think you answered beautifully in a way that took um, experiences, right, of marginalization and worked within those constructs for better and then continued that to move even higher heights. I, and, um, oh. and, you know, and I remember one of the uh, 
questions that you had asked when you wanted to get to know us before the panel about um, our experiences with um, racism and sexism, you know, in the military and, and other gender-based violences or even, um, there's definitely, uh, there's a lot. And I like to describe the military as the tip of the spear of white supremacy. And I get a lot of like, kind of responses, right? Like, ooh, like a very, like a very chilling silence, right? Because um, it's, it is butting up against uh, an idea of American sensationalism and um, hometown heroes. And, um, and it's not to say that people who have served have not made great accomplishments and have great strengths and are um, deeply valuable people with deeply val valuable relationships, but we'd also be extremely remiss not to um, really acknowledge and continue acknowledge the folks speaking up at, about racism and sexism and even the roots of the military um, in the Western expansion um, of, of settling North America and the impacts on First Nations. And, you know, and I won't go into great detail here today, but did I experience these things? Like, absolutely. Um, I, against me, others, and just general uh, racist or sexist ideologies. Absolutely. Um, it was really challenging. And, um, you know, I had, I had uh, just left for boot camp 90 days after the Iraq invasion of 2003 following 9-11. Um, and there was extreme hatred towards um, folks in the Middle East. And there were a lot of racial slurs being used um, and a lot of what they might consider banter um, being thrown around. Um, and I always felt extremely uncomfortable. Um, that's something that never stuck to me. And I also think that, you know, being a person of marginalized identity um, kind of makes sense, right? My internal processing isn't to accept things like that. Um, but also just seeing the rampant, rampant sexism between who advances within the ranks, who's supported, who's uh, the favorite, who's getting the better uh, missions or details, um, but also the exploitation of, of younger um, service members who are uh, femme and the toxic relationships or even um, abuses and assaults by higher ups um, in rank who are men. And that was extremely sad to see. And um, again, not so unlike Will, and I think that's what makes us unique and, and very related to each other. And um, between the three of us is that I, in going through that, like there were opportunities to provide feedback and learn about um, sexual harassment and assault in the workplace, what eventually um, launched a larger campaign on um, military sexual trauma awareness and intervention. And um, and so I think that I will probably forever be processing new things um, as they come up. Um, you know, I do have service-connected disabilities to the things I had experienced in the military. And, um, and so I think that's all the more reason why these programs, um, community-based programs and culturally relevant programs are so important because, you know, and folks uh, who've been there know that even when you ask for help when you're active duty, that doesn't mean that the help is gonna happen. Sometimes it causes more harm. Um, so we're here to, it's like a, almost like a rite of passage. Once you're out on the other end, you turn back around and you just open your arms and you wait for others to come join you and you say like, I see you, I got you, I'm, I'm here for you. Yeah. I think that's where the veteran aspect, mm -hmm. like, you know, when we go through basic training, the, 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 the concept is to break everyone down to the same level and then build the entire unit up as a single entity where you know within your bones, the person to your left, the person to your right are there for you and vice versa. When you go down the line, that's kind of what you, you're building that unity. And when that unity is broken by somebody who's using their position or authority, to take advantage of that, um, especially when you know these young 18, 19 year old kids. I mean, I was a kid when I enlisted. I was out of high school. 
know, I didn't know the world. I didn't even know I didn't look Indian or native until I joined the military. You know, I was like, oh, Indians don't have blue eyes. Like, well, this one does. Um, and I've shared with Salman Peter, so my nickname at my first unit was Chief Stuttering Bear. Mm-hmm. That's how bad it was. My call sign was Alaskan Assassin. Yeah. Strange commonalities, huh? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And I still remember walking down one of the corridors at the Pentagon and an officer sees me, stops, and orders me to follow him. Didn't know this guy. Took me back to his office. And attempted. I was like, this is not going, I'm in uniform. I'm at work. But little things like that. And that was common. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pentagon has a reputation, or at least did. I don't know if it does anymore. But free, don't ask, don't, don't tell policy had a real correction. During the actual policy had a really bad reputation um, for aggressive um, sexual assaults, um, racism just within the different branches of the service. Um, he had such a, you know, it's considered the largest office in the world. Um, you know, all branches of the military, DOD civilians, contractors, um, all under one building and every organization has their own set of rules. They has the, their own language and trying to navigate that, you know, you never know you know, the person you're talking to is going to actually be there to help you, support you, or hurt you, or bring harm to you. So you're constantly on guard. And it's like, that's not how it's supposed to be. This is not what we were went through basic training for. You know, so it's, it's a culture shock. It's a learning experience. And for many, uh, I knew a couple of young sailors. That was their first duty assignment. One, we literally had to talk off the ledge. Another, they're like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm not going to re-enlist. This is, this is not what I signed up for. Um, a young family, the wife, she's like, you either get out or this marriage is over with. I mean, it's, and then there were other, I mean, for myself, other than those few things, but, you know, I was, again, granted opportunities and to learn and develop my skills and continue growing my career in a very positive way, as long as I didn't talk about the ugliness, as long as I didn't talk about the racism, the mm-hmm. sexual assaults. I kept my mouth shut and you know, self-preservation won out. Because again, it's like, it's coming from all sides. And how do you do that? And I think with my, when I left the military, working in the civilian workforce, it's been just the opposite. I'll speak up for someone who doesn't have the voice or make sure there's space for them to share their voice. Um, I've gotten in trouble more times than I can count, (laughs) Um, but I'm not gonna stop. I may not be the one they're protesting, but I will protect the protesters. And that's kind of, you know, how DNVP and NoSQL, how that's, you know, again, we're going to provide that, that strength and that comfort and that safe space for everyone that, that comes to us, you know, whether they're attending one of our circles, whether they're here for generational trauma healing, whether they're walking out on that ledge and they don't know if they're going to take a step forward or a step back. You know, SQL will be there with them and help them get through what they're getting through and providing services. You know, we provide a COVID relief funding. We help people pay their rents, pay their car, their car payments so they don't get their car repossessed because they can't, you know, they lost a job because of COVID. So, you know, there's, we've got a lot going on. I'm not talking too much. Go ahead. Just, <laughs> this is my baby. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, the baby 
I feel like uh, Sequelao is very much in incubation and gestation right now. So the program itself is in utero. And as well in Phoenix and I continue to procreate this, this Sequelao five branch program, um, I just want to be clear about a few things, Anushka, because you asked about um, have we experienced those things that we were mentioning? And just speaking on behalf of Indigenous people, Black and Indigenous people, Black and Indigenous people of color, and then 2S LGBTQ folks, we, um, there's a generational and historical trauma that our lineages have suffered. And if you understand generational trauma, you know that what doesn't get expressed or taken care of gets imprinted on us. And Western science is starting to prove that through something called epigenetics right now. Um, Western science is also finally on board with acknowledging that our spiritual and emotional health um, impacts our mental health, impacts our physical health. So sequel out is not quite, is not decolonizing at all because we're strength-based and evidence-based and there's nowhere in our history or our lineage that's de-anything. We're all about strength and evidence-based. We're all about um, hypothesis and taking action and our traditional ceremonial, cultural um, high blood or chief hereditary chiefs, um, our leaders were very much uh, in relationship, not just to Mother Earth, but to our families, to the generations that are coming. There's people that foresaw um, tragedy coming and they put those prayers out there. And so I feel like Sequelao is just like a prayer in action right now. And we're in gestation. And I just want to be clear about the the generational silencing, like cousin Will was just saying that he was um, having to like be quiet about stuff. And I've heard Phoenix say that I've heard so many folks speak to that truth of being silenced. And it's not that sometimes people are directly telling you that. And a lot of times you just know better. You just know not to say anything or else you'll get reprimanded or else you'll get in trouble or worse. And what we're also doing is we're wanting to unsilence people and we are creating that space to not only help folks unsilence themselves um, because you can't, no one's allowed to unsilence someone else. They have to do it themselves or else it doesn't mean anything. So, um, so yeah, we're wanting to just really promote the heck out of being a strength-based evidence-based um, honoring and radically accepting our generational traumas so we can move forward without that pain, without that being silenced, without, um, without having those tethers of trauma attached. You know, like we really want to provide that space for our veterans, for their families to alleviate the gender-based violence, the sexual trauma and assault, the, all of the pains, all of the things that make folks cringe and all the things that um, up until now, Western practices and Western models haven't, haven't even checked out yet. And so again, like I'm super thankful that, um, that we're on the map, that people are starting to look at um, these facts about our veterans, about their families, about the community. Um, <clears throat> one of the last things about Sequelao that wasn't mentioned yet is the community-based research because not only are we um, reorienting ourselves with cedar, with the teachings, with the coastal ways and traditions, um, using and partnering with like ancient protocols, we're also documenting these things. We have to, and we get to create our own narrative in this way because the sequel out is unmatched right now. It's unmatched. There's not a program like it. So there's not quite a template to follow. So we are um, documenting everything. And once we open the doors of SQLOW or open the web of SQLOW, because we might be on Zoom, um, we'll be documenting and monitoring and we'll have a go-no-go -no -go 
protocol to follow to make sure that we are doing everything with integrity, with transparency, with um, that fidelity, so that we can present that information to the county, to the state, to the government, to whomever wants to see it, to show how effective honoring these truths are, providing practical ways to resolve and also recover our highest selves um, can be. Yeah, I can just add there. Um, one of the things that I, when I first reached out to Solana and Phoenix was, if you're willing to take this journey with me, I want everyone to bring their truth, no matter how ugly it is, bring it all. Because, you know, for traditional Western therapy and whatnot is, you know, they don't want that, especially coming out of the military. We only want to hear the positive. We only want to see the pretty part. It's like, there's so much ugliness. And that's what we're, we're wanting that along with the pretty. Because some of our truths are ugly. Some of our truths are pretty. Bring it all. Um, we've got the support there to help everyone get through that. The three of us have support to help us get through it as well. Um, and that's kind of our goal. It's, you know, we've, we're learning from what we've all learned. And secrecy law is going to change just like the tides change. Um, as the needs grow, we're gonna grow to meet that need. Um, our, my eventual goal is that CEQA will no longer be needed. We're gonna get to a point in our grandchildren's grandchildren's lives where this is, this is the, the, the norm now. So as the community holds and supports one another through the good and the bad, like we use, like our, our ancestors did. You know, if there was an issue or a problem or something happened, the council would come together and the different communities would come together and have a conversation about it, try to resolve it peacefully within the confines of, of the culture and, and, and the guidelines. If they couldn't, then they would go to war. They wouldn't just arbitrarily go to war. And unfortunately right now, that's our, or go to, go to war. And when I say, when I use the term go to war, I'm not talking about actual combat, you know, like what many veterans have had to go through. I'm, it's metaphorically war, but that's what creates the issues that we have right now with our gender-based violence, with sexual assault, with domestic violence, with racism. It's all that fight. No, let's have a conversation, open dialogue. Yeah. Open minds. I feel like I'm picking up all the time. No, what, we, what you all are saying is really important, and I really appreciate you being open and sharing all your um, thoughts about that. So, thank you. Um, I do want to be respectful of your time, and I know that um, there's definitely a lot more that I'm sure you would want to share. So. Is there something that you would like to add that you know we we haven't covered or just your thoughts? There's a lot, um, yeah. Anushka. I, I yeah. would love to come back, you know, at least four more times and sit with you. And if yeah. we could just be invited like four more times, I like to do things in five because there's five salmon species. There's mm -hmm. five parts to a first narrative or traditional story, creation story. Um, you know, there's, there's a spot. So if we can come back four more times and just kind of sit with you and share these updates with you. And, you know, um, I invite you to, to think of more questions, you know, and, and like really challenge us if, if you'd like. Um, I really applaud you for what you're doing for, for yourself and your family and your community. And I just, I think it's great. So good on you, Anushka. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And definitely, um, I think this was a great, like kind of first episode. So we'll definitely would love to have more series. I would, um, as many as you guys are available for, <laughs> I'm up for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think one thing, um, I can say comfortably is we like to talk and we like to talk in good ways. Um, one of the things that I love when, when 
the three of us will get together and we're having a work session and we'll have our time kind of planned to how but we tend to go over but we always it always ends on a good feeling because our cheeks are sore because we're smiling so much or we're laughing so much in a good way um to help get through because some of these topics are very hard and if you can't again go there in safe space knowing that we got each other you know we're there to help one another and to hold that safe space not just for us but for everyone that we are and will 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 be working with you know if they don't if we can't feel the safe space how can we expect them to feel safe space and so that's one thing that i think we all strive to make sure there's always that so if always gets, that and a bit of humor Right? And a bit of humor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Indian people, we get a rap for our stoic faces, but <laughs> we also have the medicine of the trickster, especially being ravens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Always yeah, something, I mean, coming up with something. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe we, maybe the next show could be like comedy. Yeah. And we can like, we can like introduce each other in like a comedic way. We can have. I'm going to shamefully admit that I've had a couple friends say that they want to drag me on stage for. For stand up, I believe it. I don't know what that's gonna look at like, but if they want to laugh at me for an hour, just talking about the sadness of my real life experiences and my embarrassments, as long as it makes people happy, I might do it. Oh my goodness, that's a great <laughs> idea. I think See? this is a my trick. T-shirt. I don't think we're supposed to laugh. Don't laugh. This is a trick. Don't. Yeah, we're serious professionals. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, Awesome. Well, well, Anushka, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate um, uh, the work that you're doing, uh, the, the questions that you're asking, and the way that you're leading the conversation. So anything that we can do to support you. And uh, also, I look forward to, in the future, we've had several conversations around um, our veteran community healing work um, that also integrates uh, the youth experience and mm-hmm. um, leadership and connection as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to connect about that too. I think that's a really important way that. Yeah. Fact, do. Um, DMVP has been asked to partner with a local youth organization to focus on getting youth outdoors and working in the community in unique ways. Mm-hmm. So. Oh yeah, I think that's really important. Like from the youth perspective, like getting like outdoors and having these experiences, especially now during the pandemic is so useful and just getting to connect with people. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. Sure, yeah, one of the other native wellness programs for youth did like a, a text campaign for like, you know, wellness and positivity and stuff like that. And um, they're expanding on that for, for veteran um, text campaigns as well. So there's definitely some really great sides to, to doing this kind of healing work and uh, being able to uh, have the room to spread out your creativity and do projects and um, and whatever gets people together is uh, really what keeps us going. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. It was such a pleasure talking to all of you, and I'm really looking forward to our future conversations. Thank you all. Wonderful. Looking forward thank to you. it. Yeah.